ask for the Lord to anoint me. Father, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the worship. Thank you, Lord, for worship and song, worship and giving. Thank you, Lord, for Sunday school lessons that have been taught so far. Thank you so for all that has gone on. And now we come to this part of the service where we pull ourselves up to the master's table and break the bread of life together. And Father, I, I, I pray, God, that you'd anoint me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Lord, I cannot do this on my own, but I rely fully and totally upon your anointing. And Lord, I ask, oh God, that you would do it. And Lord, as this congregation prays for me, I pray for them that you'd open their hearts, their minds, their spirits, Lord, that you do a great and a mighty work here in this place. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody in the house said, amen. As you're seated, turn around, wave, fist bump somebody, tell them you're glad to see them at church this morning. If you give me a little bit more in the monitor, I would appreciate it. Just to give you, I'm not going to re-preach last week. If you'd like to hear last week, uh, you can go and listen to it on podcast. So I'm not going to give that all to you over again. But just real quick, I'm going to get the two points that we hit last week and move on to this week. Number one, that we're to realize that God means for you to be where you are. Secondly, that we should be more concerned for God's glory than for our relief. Now, we know as, as we look at this, I'll give you just the brief synopsis before we go forward. I want you to understand that I'm not one of those that's going to tell you, you know, here's, here's 10 quick things, and kind of like Brother Eric said this morning. It's not something that, hey, just, just read this or read these 17 verses or do these 10 things, and automatically overnight, every, all of your troubles are just going to magically disappear. That's not what I'm telling you. But what this series is about is that these are biblical directions that God gives us throughout the Scripture when Israel was in a very difficult place. And these are all uh, principles that I believe that we can apply to our lives that will help us when we ourselves are in difficult times. So today, I want us to pick up on number three, and that is acknowledge your enemy but keep your eyes on the Lord. I know some of you take notes, and so I'm going to say that one more time for you. Acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. We look back at verse 5, and we find this. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why? Have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. 
You see, I know that there are cases where it feels like that the enemy attacks us head on like a suffocating force. I don't know about you, but I've been there before where it seems like all hell has been unleashed against me or against my family. Maybe you've had those kind of seasons or those kind of days where it feels like if it could go wrong, it does go wrong. Anybody here like that here today? That it feels like if it could go wrong, it does wrong. Where it feels like that the enemy has concentrated his work of the day on killing and stealing and destroying in your life. Now we know for the most part, however, that the enemy tends to come in a more conniving and covert way. The apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 talks about the wiles of the devil. You know, a lot of times the devil likes to be sneaky about things because, you know, I have found as I study history and I study the scriptures that usually it's that head-on attack that seems so suffocating and overwhelming that tends to drive the church to her knees and be able to call upon the Lord and see him deliver them. But he also in this sneak attack that the enemy, the wiles of the devil, he tends to come in the back door and seems to try to connive and worm himself in in another way. But really today, no matter how he attacks, we must remember, as I've already quoted the scripture, that the enemy has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I am not ignorant of the fact, and I don't want you to be, that there is truly a devil, Satan, Lucifer, who wants to destroy everyone and everything that God Almighty loves. Can I just give you this hint here and let you know that the devil He's not really worried about you, and the devil's not really worried about me. You know, we're really insignificant to him, but what he, why he comes to destroy us is because he wants to hurt God. Think about that. If you're a parent or you have loved ones, think about how much it hurts you when somebody hurts somebody you love. Someone hurts your spouse. Someone hurts your child. Someone hurts hurts your parent, someone hurts your brother, your sister, how much it hurts. Well, folks, that is what the devil tries to do when he tries to destroy us. He is trying to get at God. Somebody say amen. So as we come to this place in the story, we find that Israel has walked out. They've walked out of Egypt. They've walked out with a whole lot of stuff. They're victorious. When it says they go out with a high hand, they're going out victoriously. In fact, God tells us in the Scripture that the whole reason that God let them go into Egypt, there were several reasons, but one of the reasons that God let Israel go into Egypt is that they would plunder Egypt, that they would walk out. When they walked out of Egypt, they walked out with silver and with gold and with all kinds of treasures. I mean, people were just getting, they didn't steal it. You can read about it, and you'll find the Egyptians were just giving them things as they were walking out. In fact, you say, well, is that right? It is if they were giving it to them. That's why God sent them there. And so we find now that the, the Israelites have walked out of Egypt 
they're walking out with all of this stuff, and suddenly old Pharaoh, sitting on his throne, looks over his kingdom. He looks over to Goshen, the ghettos where the Hebrew slaves once lived. Now they're ghost towns. He begins to stop, and he begins to listen in the early morning hours, and when normally those Hebrew slaves of his should be getting up, and beginning to make bricks and the sound of hammers and the sound of work going on. Nothing is happening. There's no Hebrew slave there to bring him his meal or draw his bath or bow at his feet. And suddenly now he becomes, begins to become enraged. And he begins to summon all of his troops and say, it is time to pursue our former slaves. You know, many times we feel like that. Pharaoh has now become angry, and he's gathered all of his army. He's gathered them together in record time, and they have set out in hot pursuit to try to destroy Israel. And I know that we feel pursued sometimes. We feel oppressed sometimes. We feel like Israel did, that there was a Pharaoh that was determined that he was going to annihilate them. And yes, there is a devil that is bent on our destruction today. But when Paul encountered people trying to hinder his ministry and dissuade his hearers, you know what he saw? He saw the hand of Satan in Acts chapter 13 and verse 10. You see, what we need to understand is this, that when the enemy comes at us, many times, hold on, he'll use people. But the people are not your true enemy. Mm, I'm going to say that one more time. The enemy will use people to come at you, but it's not the people that are your true enemy. I'm going to wait out in it just a little bit. Republican. A Democrat is not your enemy. Democrat or Republican is not your enemy. Worker or boss is not your enemy. Boss and ornery worker is not your enemy. Some of y'all, I know you've had to have seen it on Facebook. Kevin Wallace, who pastors up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, just, just let it rip this past week in a video that he was talking about how the enemy is destroying the church about how we just tearing into one another, about how there is just such a, a spirit of division that the enemy is working. And, and you, got, you got the vaccinated attacking the unvaccinated, the unvaccinated attacking the vaccinated. The mass, the one that pro-mass attacking the anti-mass, the anti-mass attack, attacking the, it, it is, we, we're tearing each other out. Listen, we are doing the job of the devil for him. Church, we are doing the devil's job for him. He is just sitting back with a big smile on his face, knowing he ain't even having to do much at all because we are so busy tearing each other up that we are not even doing what we've been called to do, and that is to reap the harvest and to bring havoc into his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Oh, that was a free mini-sermon for you. But this has even been since lately that we have to understand this that when we are attacked and even when people are involved which many times they are that person is not your enemy in the book of second corinthians chapter 12 paul refers to his illness as a messenger from satan to buffet me 
when he was unable to visit the Thessalonian church, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2, we wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when married couples in the church had poor sexual relationships and it caused temptations, pushed them toward morality, immorality, Paul blamed such lapses on the devil. When the apostles come across, came across Gentiles worshiping idols in 1 Corinthians 10, he said that he knew that it was Satan behind it. When he found Christians harboring unforgiveness or bitterness, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it and the person of Christ. Now listen to this. This is where it's key. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul, in talking about unforgiveness, said what? We can't let the devil get up in the middle of us as the church by holding on to unforgiveness. Listen, ignorant is not, you know what ignorant is. Many of y'all, a lot of y'all are more educated than me, but just in case you've forgotten, let me just remind you that ignorant just simply means you don't know it. So just in case you are ignorant of it and don't know it, let me just tell you this today, that the enemy wants to make you hold unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody else because he knows it is a tool and a tactic that he can tear the church apart with. It's a tactic of the enemy. It's the enemy. Somebody won't forgive you, it's not that person, it's the enemy. We must always remember Ephesians 6 and 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I remind you folks, listen, we're not in a battle here at Starkville Church of God, as people of faith, we're not in a battle. We're not fighting these things with M16s. We're not fighting these things with tanks. We're not fighting these things with stealth bombers. We are fighting a spiritual warfare here. You see, we make a mistake when we acknowledge the Lord and we keep our eyes on Satan. I'm going to say that one more time. We make a mistake when we simply acknowledge the Lord but we keep our eyes on Satan. In Paul's letters, Jesus occurs 219 verses. Lord in 272. Christ in 389. Satan in only 10. And devil in only 6. In other words, Paul was saying to us, yes, there is a devil. Yes, there is an enemy. And he said, I don't want you to be ignorant of his devices, but where your focus needs to be is not on the devil and it's not on the problem. Your focus needs to be on Jesus, who is the solution to your problem. But what do we do so much? We get a problem and we can't take our minds off of it. I got to keep moving. Daniel eleven thirty two, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do 
exploits. You see, Daniel was a man that knew the Lord. He had a relationship with God. He stood in the face of death itself and said, I am too in love with my God to ever stop praying to him. You'll just have to throw me into the lion's den. I will not break my relationship. And what happened? The angels came in that night and closed the mouth of the lions. Daniel has seen many revelations, dreams, visions that have come to pass and some that have even yet come to pass. But what does he say? What is going to help us to do what needs to be done? He said, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. You don't have to know about all the things of the devil. You don't have to know about all of his tactics. You don't have to know about, you just need to know about Jesus Christ. You need to be so close to God that you know him and then you will be strong and do exploits. James 4 and 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. I got to keep moving. Fourthly, what do we find in the Red Sea rules that we do in these difficult circumstances? We pray. Everybody say pray. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. You see, we find all throughout the Scriptures, before even this point, Jacob, in a time of uncertainty in the book of Genesis, chapter 35 and verse 3, said this, And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. Later on from this story, David in 2 Samuel chapter 22, while he was a fugitive, discussing that time, said, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. You see, folks, we must come to a place again where we are reliant on prayer. I want to read to you, I told you that this, I based this entire series out of a little book, and I want to read to you a little paragraph that actually comes from, from a, a guy named Cameron Thompson, entitled, in a little booklet that was entitled, Master Secrets of Prayer. It says this, there comes a time, in spite of our soft, modern ways, when we must be desperate in prayer, when we must wrestle when we must be outspoken, shameless, and importunate. Many of the prayers recorded in Scripture are cries, and the Hebrew and Greek words are very strong. Despite opinions to the contrary, the Bible recognizes such a thing as storming heaven, praying through the fervent 
prayer of a righteous man is mighty in its working. You see, folks, I still even come from a day where I can remember prayer meetings that were more. They were more than just a few people coming together and whispering a few prayers. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with whispering a prayer. Sometimes that's all you can do in a moment is whisper a prayer. But, folks, if that's the extent of our prayer life, then that's probably why many of us are in the place where we are at because the Bible is chalked full of places where people didn't just simply whisper a prayer. They were bombarding heaven. They were crying out from the depths of their soul. They were wrestling in prayer. Scripture continues, continues to talk about that. In the book of Job, chapter 8, it says, if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, surely now he would awake for you. In Mark chapter 5, Jairus begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 4, says, when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly. In Luke chapter 22 and 44, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly. In James 5 and 17, Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. In Colossians 4 and 2, it says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And James 5 and 16 says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great powerful power and wonderful results. You see, folks, I just came by this morning to tell somebody that, yes, there are times. There are times where you're going to whisper a prayer. Yes, there are times where it's only a few words, but I am calling the church to wake up and realize that we are in a day today where we just can't simply tippy-toe around the tulips. We find Jesus Christ in the garden in agony and and it said he prayed even more earnestly. Folks, if Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, had to call out to heaven, how much more does the church today need to once again grab hold of the horns of the altar and cry out to God in supplication for our lives? I know it makes some people uncomfortable sometimes. But my God, it's time that we once again begin to cry out for our children again. I know that we've kind of settled in, even as Pentecostals, we've settled into this kind of accepted way. My God, I'm needing some grandmothers and some grandfathers and some mothers and some fathers to once again not just simply whisper prayers anymore, but as the Scriptures point out, in desperation, begin to cry out to our Savior for our children and for our land. finally today fifthly stay calm and confident and give God time to work I'm going to say that again 
stay calm and confident and give God time to work. Back in our text, verse 13 and 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear you not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Look at this. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. I got two main things I want you to see under this, and I'm done. First of all, wait on God. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it again. Wait on God. I wish you'd punch the person beside you and tell them, wait on God. We don't like to do that a lot, do we? We don't really like to wait on anything. I This just the other day. I'll admit it. Here we are. It's August. Classes have resumed. And I go over to get some of the Lord's chicken. (laughs) For those of you that are students and you haven't been around, can I just tell you, in May, the city of Starkville was a ghost town. In June, it was easy to get around. In July, it was picking up a little bit, but still wasn't too bad. And they wait, listen listen at me, and they wait until August when school is back in to start tearing up the parking lot at Chick-fil-A and adding a lane. And I'm like, where were y'all in May? See See that? Why? Because I don't like to wait. None of us like to wait. I mean, that's why I've got the app, and I try to get it. I want to pick up in, in the spot. I can't even think of it now. Pick it up, and I don't want to sit in that drive through but I couldn't even get to the little pickup spot in front of the Chick-fil-A because it was backed all the way up out of the... <laughs> y'all don't judge me. I know y'all do the same thing. We don't like to wait, do we? I hate to wait. I don't want to wait. I'm just like that song. I don't remember who sung it. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. (laughs) Yes, we don't like to wait. And we especially don't like to wait on the Lord because His timing is way different than my timing most of the time. But right here, Moses speaks to the folks, and he tells them what? He says, fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. But we want to fix it, don't we? We want to fix it immediately. We want to change something. We want to do something. We want to make something happen. But Moses said, wait. Wait on God. Let me give you this. The book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 says this. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Now, this, I want you to see this. Here, 
Paul is talking to the church at Rome, and he's talking about revenge. And he's saying, listen, you don't need to take revenge. You need to wait and let God handle it. Listen, I didn't even expect this is kind of, but I'm going to stop right here. And I'm because I feel the Lord stopping me right here. And I just need to say to somebody in this room or maybe even somebody listening by podcast, you need to wait. Don't try to get revenge. Don't try to make things even. You just wait on the Lord. Leave room for God's wrath. So here, can I say this? If Scripture then tells us to leave room for God's wrath, shouldn't that really mean that we need to leave room for God's everything? Leave room for His power? Leave room for His grace? Leave room for His intervention? Leave room for His healing? Leave room in our situation to say, hey, i got to stop, I've got to chill out, and I need to leave room for God to get in the middle of this. Because I can't speak for nobody else, but Dennis Laughlin can really screw some situations up if I get to doing it on my own and don't just wait and leave room for God to handle it. We must learn to commit our Red Sea situations to him in prayer, trust him, and wait for him to work. I'm going to give you a psalm that you're not going to like. You ready? Psalm 37 and 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to one more time because that's the Bible. Psalm 37 and 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself. Tell that person again, wait on the Lord. Second part of that that I told you that we find in this is do not be afraid. Right there, we find that Moses said to the people in verse 13, Fear ye not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. Fear ye not. The phrase fear not or do not be afraid occurs 107 times in the Old Testament and 42 times in the New Testament. So for something to occur so many times, it means that this is a common human condition and it is also a great priority with God this morning I was minding my own business again I ordered my food on my app and the sonic right here close said temporarily unavailable so I had to drive all the way over to the other side of town and pick up my breakfast burrito and my coke zero with cherry and vanilla and as I'm driving back down Highway 12, I look up at the billboard, and what do I see on the billboard? Delta variant is deadly. <laughs> if I was to take my phone out and open up probably any social media site or any news site, I would find what the news has been screaming. The world and the U.S. is now more vulnerable to terrorists than it has been in a long time. Scroll a little more, you'll probably find out that the economy, consumer confidence, is lower than it's been in a long time. You can open up social media and you can find horror stories of people that truly are dying of this virus that we've been battling now for almost two years here before long, it'll seem like. And so... It can be very easy for us to worry. I mean, that's just, the, that's just kind of the headline stuff. 
that's not even taking into account the stuff that we're facing as individuals. Some stuff you're facing on your job. Some stuff that you're facing aside from COVID. Health issues, heart problems, blood pressure. That's not, those were just the big headlines. That's not even talking about things that you're dealing with. Your children are not acting like you raised them to act. I'll just preach to myself a little bit, I guess. I don't know. But we are facing stuff, and it is so, so easy for God to put it in the Scripture oh, almost a hundred, over like 149 times or more. It's a problem that so many of us face. As adults, we are expected to keep our emotions under control. And it works the same spiritually. Because we must walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes, you listen to your pastor today, sometimes we must choose an attitude that is contrary to the way we feel. And you can tweet me, you can quote me on this. That's not fake that's faith. Sometimes you've got to choose an attitude that is contrary to the way that you feel. Because it is easy to feel the feeling of emotions, of, of, of anger, of fra- afraid, anxiety, depression. It is so easy for us to feel those ways. And if we just soak in everything that's going on around us. I'm just going to advise you one more time, just in case you don't hear me again. Be careful of all the stuff you're soaking in. Brother Eric said it this morning, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Quit, quit, quit soaking in everything that Fox or CNN or Facebook, or Twitter, but quit soaking in all that mess and start soaking up more of this. Please. I'm not saying be ignorant, that you can't know what's going on in the world, but let's just be honest. You pretty much, in about three minutes, get the big headlines, know what's going on in this world, and move on. Because if you feed Whatever you feed is going to grow. I, that's just the I didn't even have that in my notes. You've heard that before. Whatever you feed, it's going to grow. If you feed your fear, guess what's going to grow? Fear. If you feed your faith, guess what's going to grow? Your faith. The children of Israel were cornered like rabbits by encircling wolves, facing utter annihilation, and God said, Be still. Fear not. Even with all the reasons they had to be afraid, there were even better reasons to remain confident. Number one, because they had an ally beside them that had sent plagues already upon the Egyptians. Israel had already witnessed how he had sent darkness, locusts, frogs, turned their water to blood, executed their firstborn. And even at the moment, there was still above them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You see, we today even have more reasons to trust him for how he delivered Israel because we know how this story ends, that he parted the Red Sea, that later on he would send bread from heaven, that he sent ravens to feed them, that he brought water from a rock in the desert 
twice. He enabled a group of liberated slaves to defeat a land of giants. But if that's not enough, I can trust him for what he's done for me, that he's saved me, he's sanctified me, he's filled me with the Holy Ghost. He's delivered me and healed me, given me joy unspeakable and full of glory, that he's given me hope when I had no hope and love when I had no love, that he meets my needs every time that I call on him. You see, sometimes, folks, I just need to stop and look backward and realize all the good things that God has done for me. And it gives me faith and confidence to know if he's brought me this far, he hasn't just brought me here to drop me off and leave me. He's going to take me even further. If he hasn't done it yet, I've got a promise in Deuteronomy 3 and 22. Ye shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. In Deuteronomy 31 and 6, be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. First Samuel 17 and 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Romans 8 and 31 says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? And then in verse 30, it says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Folks, I've got good gospel news today that we're serving a God that is still alive and he's still on the throne and he has given me promise after promise after promise in his word and I don't have to be afraid and I don't have to fear because God has got things under control. Stand with me if you will, please. Acknowledge your enemy. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Pray. Stay calm and confident. And give God time to work. We are living. We're living in a crazy time. But I believe that we're living in an exciting time. I'm not going to stand up here and act like I'm so much more holy than anybody else. And, but there hasn't been moments that I thought, man, why? Why do I have to live right here, right now? Why do I have to pastor during this pandemic? Why do I have to, why do I have to pastor in the United States when our own nation is becoming more intolerant of Christianity? A nation that was founded on Christianity is becoming increasingly more and more intolerant. And suddenly I realize I just need a change of attitude. And I need to realize that this, it may be tough, it may be rough, but really it's a privilege 
because I believe this. I believe what this Bible says. And, and I encourage you, if, if you think things are going to just magically get wonderfully better, you've not read much of this Bible. Because this Bible tells me wickedness is going to increase in the last days. This Bible tells me there's going to be pestilence, there's going to be famine, there's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars. This Bible tells me that there's going to be all kind of stuff that's going to go on. But you know what else this Bible tells me? This Bible tells me I believe that before Jesus Christ comes back, there's going to be great revival. I serve such a merciful God that I believe, I believe what the Scriptures have taught and tell us Then the last days. The Lord said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will have visions. For my servants and handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. Oh, it's a tough time. It's a difficult time. But as this little saying is now, what a time to be alive. And it's not because of technology. It's, not, it's because I believe. As much as I believe that this world is falling apart at the seams, I believe there's a God in heaven that is getting ready to send revival to his church. And one more time, one more time, I believe that God is going to send a revival and he's going to begin to allow us to reach out. He's going to begin to let us reach out and give one more opportunity to those that don't know him those that don't trust in him those that have never been saved one more opportunity to accept him as their savior before that day comes and the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise and we which are alive and remain are caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air stuff it's difficult Things aren't just so easy anymore. Right now, we're all facing choices, difficulties. But I'm telling you, I serve a God that's going to bring us through it. Don't you lose your faith. Don't you give up. Don't you quit. I'm looking around this room, and I know right here in this room, I'm looking at some folks that I know you're in health care. You're overwhelmed. The system is overwhelmed right now. You're going to work, and it's stressful. I know in this room there are people that you're fearful. You're young, and you're thinking, what in the world? Here I am. I'm looking at a, I'm hoping for a future, and here I am in high school or college, and, and it seems like everything's going, what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. If you'll keep your hand in his hand, he's going to take care of you. No matter what goes on in this world around us, there is a God in heaven that is going to take care of us. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. Would you just lift your hands in this place, just begin to worship him. Just begin to thank him for how good he is. I wish somebody in this place would just begin to thank him. I don't want you to think about your problems right now, but right now I want some folks to begin to think about stuff he has brought you through before. I want you to begin to think about how you were sick. Some of you may have even been close to death, but the Lord brought you through. I want somebody that you didn't know how. You didn't know how you were going to make it. You didn't know how you were going to buy your groceries. You didn't know how you were going to pay that bill. But God came through for you.
I need some folks just to think about it. Just to begin to think about, just take a moment and pray. It's not even noon yet. Just begin to think about how God's been good to you before and just begin to thank him right now. Just begin to praise him right now. Lord, I thank you for what you brought me through. I thank you for taking care of me. Hey, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you and thank you. We worship you here today. We glorify the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to give you this and we're going to pray. I just heard it this morning. Pastor Stephen Furtick, I heard him telling a story of a lady she was broke as a joke she had $20 left to her name she felt the spirit telling her to give that $20 so she took that last $20 that she had put it in the offering plate goes home and begins to just walk around her yard sing that old song I got a feeling Everything's going to be all right. Her neighbor across the street, who was an atheist, who mocked her faith time and time again, heard her. He's like, I'm going to make a fool out of this woman. So he goes to the grocery store, buys up all these groceries, puts them on her front porch, knocks on the front door, and goes and hides. She comes out, opens the door, and there's all these groceries. And she begins to praise the Lord. All of a sudden, her neighbor jumps out, this atheist who's determined to break her faith, and says, lady, God didn't do this. I did this. And she just went to kept on praising, almost like he hadn't said a word. And he stops her again. He's like, what? You don't. He pulled out this receipt. He said, I want you to know God didn't do this. I did this and she got to shouting and praising more and she said he said I what do you not understand that God didn't do this I did this she said no God did it and he made the devil pay for it God has got you God is going to take care of you I don't care how bad it seemed. Lift both hands in the air right now, would you? I want to pray. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I know that there is not a, none of us are exempt right now. All of us are living in a crazy, crazy time. And we need your help, and we need your direction, and we need your strength. And I pray that you would help us to take Lord, what we have seen in your word, what you have placed on my heart, and I pray that it would help somebody and strengthen somebody and encourage somebody here today in the mighty name of Jesus I pray your blessings I pray your favor I pray your anointing upon every person here in this building right now that we will not quit or give up but you oh God are going to bring us through you're going to make it happen Lord you're going to take care of us and you might even make the devil pay for it Lord you are still in control I rebuke all fear I rebuke all worry. 
I rebuke all anxiety. I rebuke depression in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray for protection for those that are sick would be healed. For those that are well, that they would be protected, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray your heads would be about them. I pray your heads be around our church family. I pray your heads would be about our city. I pray that your heads would be about all of our schools here in Starkville, our university, Lord. I pray your angels would be all about this place. Keep us. Watch out for us, Lord. I give you thanks and praise and honor. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And everybody said, Amen. God